Mary and Megan, and you would see very quickly that we are a culture that is consumed with our rock stars. We love our literal rock stars. We love our athletes. We love our movie stars. We love our millionaires. We love our billionaires. And we almost worship them like gods. Literally, if Moses was coming off and had the commandment that said, thou shalt worship no other gods or have no other idols, we tend to think of the wooden things. But in our culture today, it would be those people that we look like and we want to be like. We want to look like them. We want to dress like them. We want to believe what they believe. We want their lifestyle. We want their money and we want their fame. In fact, I was reading, there actually is now a psychological diagnosis called celebrity worship syndrome. So literally, there are people that are now going through therapy because they're so consumed and so caught up in this whole celebrity culture that we're in. Now, I would like to say that we don't have that problem in the church. But I'm here to tell you that the danger is that we worship our celebrities even within the church. There is celebrity worship within the church. So think about it for a moment. There were a few of the names that popped up there, faces you saw and you remember them. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Joel Osteen, uh, and other ones like that. You, you think of Toby Mack, you think of Laura Daigle, you think of Chris Tomlin, John MacArthur, Beth Moore, and other people like that, that we look up to them and say, man, they are really awesome. They are really doing something great for God. Even within our, our local congregation, we get caught up in it. We, we look at our pastor, and, and we say that our pastor is something special, or that Bible teacher is someone special, or that particular family is someone very, very special, or that singer or that musician that got up and led our worship. Man, he is a celebrity. If I could sing like that, if I could play like that, you know, if I could do that, then I could be very popular and I could be famous. You are popular and famous, right? You're, you got albums out, right? They're for sale at the back of the auditorium, right? Oh, okay. No, no albums. Okay. So he's a nothing. You don't need to worry about him. But there really is nothing new under the sun. Take your Bibles and let's go to 1 Corinthians because Paul was dealing with the problem of celebrity worship, even in the early church, in one of the churches that he actually founded. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you. So there was division within the church. I, I heard about a guy that was stranded on an island, and he'd been stranded there for over five years. One day he was out on the beach and he, and he saw a vessel on the horizon. So he thought, I'll build a fire and the smoke will go up and they'll come and rescue me. So he built a big fire on the beach and the smoke went up. And sure enough, the vessel spotted him and they sent a, a life raft to come and pick him up. But before they left, they said, we want to see where you've been living after he told them the story of being there for over five years. So he took them through the jungle and they came to a little clearing and there were three huts there. They said, three huts. That's interesting. Tell us about your huts. He said, well, that hut right there in the middle, that's where I live. That's my home. And they said, that's great. Okay. Well, what's the hut over on the right? He said, that's my church. 
That's where I worship God every Sunday. They said, wow, that's incredible. I said, well, what is that church? What is that building over on the other side? He said, that's the church I used to belong to. <laughs> now, isn't that the way it is? You know, we're church hoppers, there's division, you know, and people get offended and they, they leave out. And, and that was what was going on with that church. He says in verse 11, For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling, division among you. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. In other words, everybody was kind of divided up. You had some folks that were wearing their Air Paul tennis shoes. You had some of them that had under-Apollos t-shirts. You had others that had the Apostle Peter fan club badge right there. And then a lot of people, most of the people are talking about the new reality show, Keeping Up With Jesus. And so they were all divided among these different camps with each other, and, and they were each trying to vie and say, my guy is bigger than your guy. Now, I don't know how the others competed against Jesus, but they were trying to do that nonetheless. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. He, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified by, for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. For Christ, verse 17, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, there was division within the church. The folks were divided up among their celebrities. And so what Paul does in verses 18 through 25, he reminds them that God didn't use the instrument of, of celebrity status. Rather, he used the instrument of the cross. A bane to the Greek and a mockery to the Jew, he tells us in those passages. The very thing that nobody would have ever thought that God would have used, he used to redeem all of mankind, the cross. The, the Greeks, they liked their wisdom. They liked the, liked the smart stuff. They wanted the intellectually deep, the philosophical type of stuff. The Jews, they wanted the miracles. They wanted the parting of the Red Sea. They wanted the, the manna coming down from heaven. They wanted to see the water come out of the rock. They liked their signs, and they were all looking for these things that would indicate that their deliverer had appeared, and God says, I'm not going to give you signs, and I'm not going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you a cross. And so God uses the cross to redeem say, well, what's that got to do with this division? God whammied the world by telling them, hey, I'm not going to redeem you by something spectacular. I'm going to use something that is considered bane to redeem you. But he says, I'm going to go a step further because I'm not through doing something spectacular through the ordinary. He says in verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Consider your callings, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Look at verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God 
chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I want you to focus for just a moment on three words that Paul used over and over again in those verses. Did you see the word? It's the word what? Chose. He says, chose. Chose. Think about that for a minute. God chose, and if you can move on there for us in the the PowerPoint, he uses the word God. God chose. It's a powerful word that God chose you. See, they were looking at Apollos, they were looking at Peter, they were looking at Paul, they were looking at Jesus, all of their celebrities. And Paul says, God chose you. Let me say that again. God, think about it a minute. God chose you. In the Greek, it's in the middle voice, which means God is the agent and the executioner. God is the one that initiated the choice. God is the one that executed the choice. God is involved in choosing. In fact, there are plenty of other verses. There you go. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but what? I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my, my Father in my name, he may give it to you. He says, I chose. Look at this next verse, if you would. Yeah, even as he what? Chose us chose us, now look at this, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Next verse, look at this one. Love this one. First Peter, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by God, excuse me, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, what? Chosen. And then one of my favorite verses, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 verse 4 says, for you know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. I want you to think about that word for a moment, chose. And don't get caught up in all the theological nuances. There have been theological wars that have been fought over this whole concept. I'm not here to talk about those things. I want you to think for a moment of the implication and the application of it this morning for you. That the sovereign God who rules the galaxies chose you you. The all-sufficient God who needs nothing and needs no one to be complete. We need somebody, right? We need a companion. We need a friend. We need this. We need that. God needs nothing to be complete, and yet he chose us. The amazing God who is worshiped by the heavenly host chose you. The eternal God who lives in heaven chose you to live eternally with him. The Father God who loves chose to love us lavishly. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has chosen you. And according to the verse, as we apply it and bring it down to where we live today, God has chosen you to be on his team. That's what Paul is really saying. God has chosen you to be on his team. You're talking about Peter. You're talking about Paul. You're talking about Apollos. You're talking about Jesus. You're talking about this one. Who's on that team and that team? Understand, you don't need to worry about those guys. Realize God has chosen you to be on his team. 
God has chosen you. This, this really has come home to me. The last few years have been very difficult years for me and kind of been a dark place. And recently I've been going through coaching. I've got a career coach and other things like that. And, and I was meeting with him and going through my story. I'd sent it to him before so he kind of knew a little bit about me. And, and he said, I noticed something in your story that you kept saying over and over and over again that you wanted somebody to choose you to be your mentor, to choose you to be the coach to you, to choose you to be on their team. And he looked at me, or didn't look at me, he said to me on the phone, he said, you don't need anybody to choose you. God has already chosen you. I mean, it, it, it hit me like a brick. You ever had one of those moments in life where, I mean, just something hits you like a brick, like a, a two by four, it just, it just slams you? Here I am, I've been in theology school, I've, I've got my doctorate, I've published four books on preaching, I've been an adjunct professor, I've studied the book of Ephesians, I've, I've done all of those things, and in just one moment, God says, listen to what he's saying. You see, when I was growing up in my childhood, I was the kind of scrawny kid. I was the kid that would have the, the knocking knees, you know what I'm talking about there, the pencil-thin legs, you know, where people would say, are, are you riding a chicken or are those your legs? And, and you know, I was, I was not athletic. I was always, always the last guy picked for any team, always. Basketball, volleyballs, dodgeball. I was always the last one, and I hated it. I hated school because I was bullied, I was picked on, I was made fun of, I was laughed, I was beat up. I was all those things, and so I came out of school feeling like I don't belong anywhere. I feel rejected. And I grew up into manhood, you know, and ended up going off to seminary and doing all those kinds of things like that. And, and was expecting God to do great things. And then I went through the rejection of a church that did some things that hurt me very, very deeply and put me in the place that I have been in the last six years. And now I'm sitting here having been through that, thinking, okay, God's going to open the new door. And six years later, you're 58 years of age. Churches don't look at you anymore because you're not young and hip. You don't, you don't do all the cool things anymore. So you're not looked at anymore, even though God has used you in the past. And I have to say, I was kind of in a dark place. And so when Jack, my coach, said to me, Kent, you don't have to be chosen by a church. You don't have to be chosen by a team. You don't have to be chosen by an employer. You don't have to be chosen by people. Understand right now in Christ, you have been chosen by him. Isn't that incredible? Think about that for a moment. If you've been rejected for a job or a promotion, just remember this, God has chosen you. If you have been rejected by your spouse, they have turned away and left you high and dry with bills and children and everything else, remember this, God didn't reject you, God chose you. 
If you are bullied at school and you're made fun of and you're never picked to be in the cool group, you're never picked to be on the team, you're never picked to be in this organization, that you remember one thing. If you're in Christ, God has chosen you. If you are in the out crowd socially, God has chosen you. Think about it for a minute. God has chosen you. Say that with me, but I want you to put the me in there. God has chosen me. Don't rush through that. God has chosen me. Doesn't matter what the world says about us. Doesn't matter what the boss does to us. It hurts. Sure it does. But you come back to the basic truth that God has chosen me. Man, you're a winner automatically. You're already a winner. See, we go in like this because that's what I was doing. I won't be chosen, you know. You got your shoulders down. No, no. Roll those shoulders back. Remember, I'm the chosen of God. That's what Paul's saying. Remember, God has chosen you. He chose you. He said, but wait a minute. You don't, you don't understand. I can hear the, the audience out there because some of you are doing it right now. I can read your minds. I'm a mind reader. I'm psyche. Because I know what you're doing. You're saying, but, but pastor, you don't know me. I'm not gifted, I'm not able, I'm not smart, I, I don't speak well, I, I fumble over myself, I've screwed up so many times in life, I've messed up, I've, I've blown opportunities, I've done all this stuff. How in the world could, could God ever use me? Well, look what he says in verse 26, for consider your calling. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. He says, take a minute and think about your life. Think about who you are, and consider that God called you. You see, we get excited when a celebrity gets saved. I mean, if any one of those celebrities that we saw on the screen earlier... Had, a, had come to Christ, if Taylor Swift came to Christ, or if Rihanna came to Christ, or if, if, if Dwayne Johnson came to Christ, or if this person, we'd say, man, that person, they're going to really make a difference for God. Do you hear what we're saying? It's that celebrity worship, isn't it? We think because that person is a celebrity, they can do greater things. No, I want you to understand that God's choice doesn't make sense to the world. He chooses you and I to do his greatest work. Sure, there are people that have larger platforms. That's not the issue. The issue is, what does God have for my life? So God's choice, it doesn't make sense to the world. I mean, everything that Paul is saying there, he didn't choose the noble, he didn't choose the powerful, he didn't choose the, the, the folks that are, that are wise. He, he didn't choose any of those folks. In fact, he goes on to say, God chose the foolish, not the wise. 
God chose the foolish, not the wise. Why do you say that? Because when you're Stephen Hawkins who passed away, you're too smart for God, aren't you? You think you know more than God. Do you, you know what the word that's translated here, foolish, it, the Greek word? It's the Greek word moronus. Anybody want to guess what we get in our English language? Moron. It says, God chose morons. Turn to your neighbor and said, God chose you a moron. Say that to your neighbor right now. Doesn't that feel good to say that to somebody? You're a moron. And God chose you. God chose you. He, he could have chosen the, 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 the smartest person on the block, but God chose you. In comparison to the world, God chooses the foolish to be his followers. So when you are called to step up to the plate and you're thinking about doing something and that old voice whispers in your ear, you don't know how to do that. You don't have the education to do that. You're not smart enough. You remember that God chose you, the foolish, according to the world. Now, he's not saying we're a bunch of idiots and dumb, but, but the world looks at us that way, don't they? They're looking at it, thinking about us today. What are those idiots doing down in there, that building? They could be out drinking. They could be out sunning. They could be out on the lake. They could be doing all that stuff. And yet they're sitting there in a building listening to some ugly guy yelling at them all morning long. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Who said that? I'll talk to you afterwards in the back. Be sure and get your gun. I've got mine, okay? I'm a gun-toting preacher. Sure. But, but, but understand that God chose the foolish. But then he goes on to say, God chooses the weak, not the strong and powerful. Now, now that would speak to the, the, the folks there in the audience. Corinth was a Roman city. What did Rome like? Might. Power, didn't it? It wanted to rule the world. It's mighty armies. It's mighty senate. It's mighty Caesar. They, they dominated the world. They were the superpower of their day. And they loved might. They liked their gladiators. Paul says, that's not who God chose. God chose scrawny weaklings, he says, the weak, to do his greatest work. Turn to your neighbor and say, God chose you, a scrawny weakling fella, to do his work. Tell your neighbor that. Doesn't that just make you feel good? But I want you to understand something today. What Paul is saying here, when you're asked to step up to the plate and you're thinking about doing something and that old voice whispers in your ear, that's too big for you. You're not strong enough to do that. You don't have enough power. You're, you're a nothing. You're a nobody. Paul says, you're the very person that God is looking for. You're the very person God is looking for to do his greatest work. And then he goes on to say he chose the low and despised, not the nobility. The, the word low literally means somebody of an unknown descent, ignoble. We would call them the wallflower. It's a person that nobody even knows exists. They can walk into a room and walk out of the room, and nobody even knew they came in, and nobody knows they even went out. The despised, that is the least esteemed, the contemptible. And, and that's how the world at that time looked at the Christians. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know it today, that's how the world looks at us. 
They despise us. Joey Bohar on the daytime program, The View, said of Vice President Pence, you probably heard, he said, Christians are a bunch of mental cases. Teen Vogue's columnist Lauren Ducal, upon hearing of Billy Graham's death, tweeted, the big to news today is that Billy Graham was still alive this whole time. Anyway, have fun in hell, B-I-T-C-H. And then she went on to say, respecting the dead only applies to people who weren't evil pieces of S-H-I-T while they were living. Folks, I want you to know something. If you want to be a rock star in the world's eyes, don't become a Christian. If that's your goal is to be the all-star in the eyes of the world, you're not going to get there by being on top of the Christian circle because the world is going to look at you low and despise. You say, well, why would God do that? Well, for this very reason. God is an extraordinary God, write it down, who uses ordinary people, go back to that statement, uses ordinary people to do great things so that he gets all of the glory. Look, look what he goes on to say in that very verse. He talks about he chose those. Look at verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boast in themselves. Is that what your Bible says? Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. You see, the reason why God takes, and if you can put that statement back up there, God takes ordinary people is when ordinary people do extraordinary things, God receives the praise. Amen? God's not looking for First Baptist Church to become the most prominent church in Groveport. He's looking to become the most prominent figure, God, in this community through this church. And as we ordinary people yield ourselves to God, then God is able to do those extraordinary things. So God chooses us knowing what we are so that he can do what only he can do through us. If you would have told me when I was in high school and being made fun of by my friends that one day I would be standing up in pulpits preaching like this in front of people, I would have said you were crazy. I was a shy young little boy. But here I am, and it's not because I'm educated, it's not because I'm smart, but friends, I'm here because God chose me. God chose you to be the leader of the youth group. God chose you to be the deacon. God chose you to be the Sunday school director. God chose you to be the worship leader. God chose you to be the person that ministers to that elderly person that has nobody to love them. God chose you to be the one to adopt that foster child. God chose you so that he might magnify himself and glorify himself through you. Paul says, get off your high horse. It's not about who you are. It's not about your status. It's not about your, your, your celebrity status before all the world. The issue is, what can I do through you? God chose you. Now think about this. Now I want to take it and bring it down. Now, we all know that the Cleveland Browns screw up every choice they make, right? But, but every year we go through the NFL draft and we, we start talking about making the right choices, making the right choices. And we'll sit there and go, oh no, they did it again. 
they picked that guy. Why did they pick that guy? They could have gotten this. And, and we kind of go through that. But, but every single person is chosen for what they bring to the table, aren't they? Right? Now think about it. God chose you, go to the next screen, I think it is, to be on his team. So you could sit on the bench. So you can sit in the bleachers. Excuse me, I, I, I've never known a team to pick a player so that they can sit on the sidelines. And there's a reason. God chose you to be on his team. That's incredible. Say, let's say it and put it in our own language. God chose me to be on his team. Say that. God chose me to be on his team so that he can do great things. So how do we become a team player? Put it down in your notes. First of all, we have to trust. We have to trust. What does a player have to do? He has to trust his coach, doesn't he? He has to trust the coach, that the coach knows what he's doing, that the coach knows what needs to be done, that the coach knows who needs to be in there at the particular time and who needs to come out. He has to trust the coach knows the game plan that they need to implement. Folks, when it comes to being on God's team, we have to trust our coach, don't we? That God's going to call us to do things, and sometimes it does not make sense to us. Trust me, what I've been going through the last year, six years makes absolute no sense to me whatsoever. I got a lot of questions for God. But sometimes we got to trust God, don't we? I'm sure as Moses was sitting on the backside of the desert for 40 years, that didn't make any sense. He used to be in the palace. He used to be right up there with Pharaoh. He was the man that could lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was the man, and so now he's sitting back on the backside of a desert with a bunch of stinking old sheep. Does that make sense to you and me? Huh? Done to me. But sometimes we got to trust, don't we? We got to trust the coach that God knows what he's doing. He knew what he was doing when he called you. And he knows what he's doing when he asks you to do something that you don't think that you can do. Trust. Second, we got to execute. Yeah, got to execute. You, you see, if you got a team, but the players aren't executing their assigned duties, then guess what's going to happen? Team's going to lose, aren't they? We saw that with the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, everybody's looking to LeBron James to be the superstar. He can pull us through. He can score the points. He can do the assists. He can do the rebounds. And they were kind of apathetic around the court, and they weren't doing their job. And then they all realized, as, as J.R. Smith said, said, we can't expect LeBron to be the superhero. We got to step up to the plate and do our part. It's not... Pastor Greg's responsibility. It's not Phil's responsibility. It's not somebody. It's your responsibility to execute your assigned duty. And then A, attend. You got to attend. What, what does every player have to do on a team? He has to attend team meetings, doesn't he? He has to attend meetings with his coach. So we need to do that as well. We need to attend meetings with our coach. Daily meeting with God, don't we? 
where we're getting our assignment from God. Do you have a time where you meet with God every day or almost every day where you're talking to him, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to touch today? I try to pray that every day. I'm doing life insurance now, so trust me, I'm out among people that all the time, you know, and, and uh, I'm interested just this last week, I went into a home to, to visit this guy. He invited me in. He had sent in a card wanting to get insurance. I sat down with him, and the first thing he told me is, I just buried my wife today. Today. I'm sitting in that room with that man the day he buried his wife. Do you think that was a divine appointment? I think so. And at that moment, my responsibility was to execute my assigned duties and be the physical presence of God to that man. And I was able to pray for him and give him a track and give a witness to him. We need to attend daily our meetings, but we need to attend weekly like you're doing today. You got your team meetings. This is what this is. This is not about you coming and, and just being fed. It's about you getting ready to go out there to do your job. You came in here. You, you know, imagine if, if you, they got the Cleveland Cavaliers and everybody comes and, and uh, the, the coach gets up and tells them, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. And he's like, yeah, 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 we love that. And then coach runs out onto the court and looks behind and no players have come out. They're all sitting on the bench going, wasn't that a cool meeting? Man, that was awesome. The worship leader, he was awesome this morning. The drummer, he was handsome. The bass player, hopeless. Um, I love you, brother. I love you. You got more hair on your head than I do, so you're better than me. But, but listen to me. What if, what if we saw that happening? We would sit there and go, what's wrong with those folks? But isn't that what we do in the church all the time? <laughs> we, we come to church. We come to the team meeting. Pastor gives us a great message. We hear great worship. We're taught the Word of God, and we go out, and we don't do a thing with it. And then finally, got to close here. We magnify. We magnify God in everything that we do. It's been a learning curve because here I am, the guy that's called to be the minister, yada, 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 33 years of pastoring, adjunct professor, Liberty Theological Seminary, yada, 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 all that stuff. Now I'm selling insurance, and, and now I'm having to look and say, okay, God, how do you use an insurance salesman? You know what my common line is? Because I sell final expense insurance along with my ministry that I do. My common line is this. I've helped you today get your physical death taken care of. But there's only one that can take care of your spiritual death that's coming. And that's Jesus Christ. Have you made things right with God? Huh. You mean an insurance salesman selling final expense insurance can minister? Yeah. Say, God has chosen you because you're where you are to do what he wants to do through you. So Paul is saying to these folks, listen, what is all this celebrity status stuff about? It's not who's the biggest dog on the block. It's not who's got the big name. God chose all of us. All of us. And it's time, it's time to be a team player.
So I want to ask you this morning, are, are you on the team? First question you got to ask is, have you been chosen to be on the team? Say, I don't know. Well, let me ask this question. Are you thinking about it this morning? Because if you're thinking about it, God's speaking to you right now. Did you know that? What do you mean? If God wasn't speaking to you, you wouldn't be thinking about it. Because the pagan doesn't even think about God. They're not mindful of the things of God until God pricks their heart. So the very fact that you're asking the question, am I on the team? Do I want to be on the team? How do I get on the team? The very fact that the brain wheels are churning is evidence of the fact that God is speaking to you and he's offering your invitation and he's asking you now, will you open it up and join his team? You say, well, if I don't get on God's team, whose team am I on? You're on Satan's team. Wow, that's a winning proposition, isn't it? So this morning, God is offering you the opportunity to be a part of his team. Will you accept him as your Lord and Savior? It doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how screwed up you are, doesn't matter how smart you are, how dumb you are, how good looking you are, how ugly you are, whatever. God is not caught up in all those things. God just loves you, just loves you. Close your eyes for a minute. Just say that in your mind. God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. God wants me on his team. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that invitation is going out, will you just pray a prayer like this with heads bowed and eyes closed? Lord, I accept your invitation. The invitation you're giving me to become a part of your eternal family. I accept your invitation. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I receive you. Pray it. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, it wasn't a game, it wasn't just an exercise you went through and you meant it. Let me put it in the terms that Paul put it in his text here. God chose you to be on his team. You are chosen. Chosen. Chosen by God. In a moment, we'll have an invitation. I'll be here at the front. And if you accepted Christ this morning, I would invite you to come. But most of you here this morning, you've already experienced the wonderful saving power of Jesus Christ. But maybe sin, doubt, self-deprecation, whatever, whatever it is, something has 
weighed you down, kept you out of the game, kept you on the sidelines. You didn't feel good enough, big enough, smart enough. And this morning, the voice of God is saying, Joe, I chose you. Paul, I chose you. Pauline, I chose you. Joyce, I chose you. Mary, I chose you. Barb, I chose you. Phil, I chose you. Zach, I chose you. John, I chose you. Abby, I chose you. Tom, I chose you. Abigail, I chose you. Taylor, I chose you. And if you'll just yield to that voice inside and say, no longer will I allow the devil to smash me down. I am a chosen child of God with a mission and a calling. And today I surrender to that calling on my life. Don't ask what it means. Just say, Lord, here it is. Here I am. And let him take it from there. He'll give you the coaching plan later on. Right now, just yield to him. So in a moment as we, when we stand, if you accepted Christ, you come. If you need to just come and kneel at this altar and make a fresh surrender or just receive the breath of fresh air of the Spirit of God working, whatever it is this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, will you just stand to your feet right now? Just heads bowed, eyes closed, and you stand if you would right now. Just stand where you are. Everyone stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The altar is open right now if you need to come this morning. You come right now. If you accepted Christ, you come. If you just need to come this morning and kneel at the altar and just allow God to speak to your heart and give you his plan, you come this morning.